On today's episode of Gathering the Kings. You hit on something there, though, is really intentionality. Knowing what it feels like to receive quality relationship. How do you do that inside of an industry that, for lack of better terms, is seen as a little bit like shifty, right? There's just a lot of homeowners that look at construction in general as shifty. And so how can you continue to build relationships like you were just talking about inside of a construct like that? What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. We're back. Got another king for you here today, Caleb Cowart. How we doing, Caleb? Pretty good, Chaz. How are you, Bill? You know, I'm I'm well. It's the day after Freedom Day when we're recording here. I couldn't be more thankful for just meeting here with you right now. Like these are the things that we get to do because we're in the country that we live and the people that have gone before us, man. So I'm just so appreciative of this time of the year and all the cool things we get to do to celebrate that. So thanks for being here, man. I'm excited for this conversation and the value that you're going to bring. What kind of business do you have? So first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's made this a possibility for the fighting for our country and for the other we have for your meeting yesterday. But also thank you for having me on here to be a part of this. Super yeah. fired up excited to share what we do and how we do it. Good. So what we do, TNS Solutions, it's a product that we distribute in a service. It's called Aero Barrier. And so it's an energy efficiency solution that we provide in residential new construction and construction in general. But really what our main business model is, is for RNC residential new construction with production builders across the country. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of moving pieces in that for the people that you're working with across the country. So I'm excited to hear about how your brain works and how you solve problems, because I'm sure you've had plenty of them as you've grown this size of business. For the listener's sake, we were casually chatting here before we hit the record button and and you just you know, very flippantly, yeah, I had to take a trip because I'm going to be busy opening several new offices and had to do the family thing for a little bit. And it's like, man, that was just really casual conversation of just opening up some new offices. And I love being in the presence of casual greatness, <laughs> as I'll call it today. So I'm excited to hear about some of those exploits that you've got. I want to know before we get started really into much of the detail, like, Dude, you got a lot going on. What's the why? What's the burning desire on the inside? Why do you wake up every day? What's it for you? I think it's multifaceted. I think the why, and I think everybody has their, their main why, and I think it's to take care of their family, provide sure. for their family. And I had a good childhood, a great childhood, great parents who they cared for me, provided for me, and set a really high bar, to be honest with you. And I'm forever thankful for that, and hopefully appreciate and express that appreciation to very frequently. But it also made a challenge for me as a father, as a husband, that is to provide for them and give them more opportunity than I have. Give them an opportunity that can provide everything that they need, not necessarily everything that they want, but to, to provide everything that they need to be successful, to be fulfilled, and as know their love. So yeah. that's the main why. But as far as business, it's to change an industry. It's an opportunity. I think we all have a basket full of bad ideas that to think, thank goodness we didn't pursue those. <laughs> but when you have that opportunity and everything kind of aligns and you realize that you have this period of time to be successful, to make an impact, you have yeah. to, you have to capitalize on it and you have to stay hungry and keep climbing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. There's definitely a category of people that are, are industry disruptors. So I guess my, uh, to dig in on that, why do you want to change an industry? Why not just build a little business that takes care of your family and the few that are around you and kind of just do your own thing? I mean, changing an industry is big. Right. Yeah. I think because there's inherent benefits to everyone in the process in residential new construction, there's someone that I, I work with in the industry who he said something the other day to me that really resonated with me. I thought it was pretty, 
pretty interesting. He said, when it comes to residential new construction and home building for, for human beings, we are the least innovative industry in the world. Why? Well, as someone who's trying to be a disruptor in the industry and bring a product to market, I, I kind of questioned it. He said, think about it. We've gone from living in caves to living in, in log homes to living in homes that have 100% for wood frame. That's it. Yep. That's the list. Dot, period. Wow. <laughs> really is. And so it's kind of a daunting task when you look at it that way, but, right. but, you know, conversely, it's also a great opportunity for innovation and taking the next step. Yeah. What do you think holds the construction, we'll just call it maybe construction industry. What do you think holds that whole thing back from innovation? Why, why have we really not moved? I mean, obviously when you break down a home, we just built a home last year. There's a lot of new things happening inside of a home. So, like, I think that we can agree that there's technology happening. Obviously, there's smart home pieces that play, and there's a lot of things in being innovated. But to your point, going back to the just the basis of how it's built from the frame and maybe the material, what do you think that holdup is? I think a lot of times when a new product, a new process comes into the industry, I think that for adoption on a mass scale, First, especially the big box players, the publicly traded builders, the builders that, you know, have shareholders. When someone is going to adopt a new product, a new process to change the way they build homes on a scaled method across the country or across the world, they're putting their career on. And when they do that, they have to have faith, trust, confidence, not only in the product, but the individual that's going to be bringing that process and product to them. So right. there's, a, there's a lot of goodwill that has to be built up and a lot of trust. And also in the industry as a whole, I think that the most dangerous phrase in the human language that we have is, well, I've always done it this way. Yeah. In, in this industry, you kind of run up against that sometimes, but again, and that leads for an opportunity for innovation, success, and implementation. I agree with you a hundred percent. I think that it's not a, a secret that the construction industry is like this and because it, whether I've got a construction company or the mastermind members that I have that have construction companies or service companies or guys like you that are on the podcast. From all angles, you have very willing, capable humans wanting to progress and win. But you're right. There's very much a like a construct of this is how it's done. This is how it's always been done. Don't don't mess it up. <laughs> it's been like this for a long time, which Look, hey, there's obviously there's a success recipe inside of don't don't fix it if it ain't broke. Correct. Why why now? Or maybe now is not maybe now not that the timing's not the thing, but why is innovation important even when you have a maybe a thing that's not broke so don't fix it, but we press forward anyway into whatever could be next. Why why do we push? Well, I think there's always a next step, not just from a product delivery standpoint, but from personal growth, not just and that's business as a, at home, as a husband, a spouse, as a father, as a friend, as a son, yeah. I think, I think there's always growth and opportunity to be better. My wife and I joke when we kind of disagree on something or whatever, we'll say that, hold on, I'm awesome, not perfect. And she says the same thing and we have that. Oh, it's good. And so I, I think that even when you have a process that's awesome, it's not perfect and the product always can be better. So whether you, you're a builder that's publicly traded that builds thousands of great homes for families, there's always an opportunity to be Energy Star certified. And that's something that we were able to bring to the big box builders where before they've kicked the tires and say, hey, I want to be Energy Star certified. What does that look like? Well, the juice might not have been worth the squeeze financially from a cost right. perspective from then. 
from them, but we are able to now provide a service that's able to help them get to those metrics that could qualify them for Energy Star certification. Yeah. We built the model and the process to where our, our product, the cost analysis passes the sniff test. And so it works. And so builders are now able to kind of punch up above their weight class a little, a little bit and what they're going to spend in the end product for the agency. Yeah. It, it makes me think of another conversation that I was having, one with a guest probably six months or so ago, and he had an innovative product in the installation industry. And then one of my mastermind members, he's in the garage door service and installation industry. And the conversations were different, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them together here because I want to hear your perspective because this is the same lane that we're in. And in essence, the, the installation innovator came across this big box, big companies. We've done it this way the whole time. Like We're not interested in your new thing. And so he went direct to consumer. And so what he found was that consumers were more than willing to pay the extra or the difference in this new innovative product, but that the it was the home builders or and or big box, just we've always done it this way, companies that didn't want to rock the boat. And that was really shocking to him. Now, fast forward to the conversation with the guy with the garage door service company. He has seen the transition happening in HVAC and plumbing, but now it's happening in garage doors, which is we're no longer determined, like I don't provide this service or product based on my manufacturer and wanting to make them happy. It's actually homeowner based. And so because this is what the homeowner wants, we now have to change our process and it's very much more experience driven. And, and my salesperson and my tech are very experience driven, not really just like, here's the information, here's the manufacturer and then in and out like transactional, but that the consumer themselves are driving this experience, which is kind of what the installation guy was saying. So what do you say about this? big box. We've always done it the same way. Guys that have been in the industry for hundreds of years, but it's transitioning to what the consumer wants, not necessarily what they want. Yeah. I think in business, whether you're delivering a product, a service, or even in a friendship, I, I think everyone has to win. My grandfather was a symbol man. He was a, a pike fitter and a horse trader, but he used to always say a good deal is when two people come to the brain. And yeah, I think right. that uh, there's it's simplistic in nature, but I really think if you extrapolate it out, really think about sales, product delivery, delivery relationships, all of that, it's the same thing. And so the homeowner, if it doesn't benefit them, they're not going to ask for it. It's not something that really makes an impact to push sales, to drive model home traffic. Then really you're going to have to have a ton of value just to selfishly to the home yeah. builder in order for it yeah. to work. But as we become more energy cautious and aware. I think all homeowners inherently are looking for a lower heating and cooling cost for the life of the house. And so if that is the byproduct of this process and the product that we're able to deliver, then that's something that right. can be measured, marketed, and sold and delivered to the homeowner where they can say, hey, look, there's a competitive advantage with using this builder or this process to achieve X measurement because I benefit with this. And so- right. Yeah, I think you definitely have to be able to cater to that homeowner and have something that where they tangibly can have something. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. All right. Well, let's talk about your journey a little bit. Tell us what you did maybe before this business. How did you get into this business? Why this industry? Give us a little bit of your backdrop. Yeah. So I went to Texas A&M University out of high school. I think I thought I had it all figured out. When I went to college initially, I was a music major. I had a okay. scholarship in music. I did that for three days before I realized <laughs> that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. Yeah. What what was that moment like? What what happened in those three days? <laughs> well, it was actually day two. I I was in top vocal studio in our college. And I remember that the head of the studio said, hey, you're going to have to put in lots of hours outside of the class, outside of your vocal lessons and all of this. Right. 
it's going to be challenging. It's going to be a culture change. But what's going to keep you going is you're going to have to remember that this is what you're going to do for the rest of your lives. And there was the voice inside of me that literally, like Peter Griffin and Family Guy said, done, and walked out. And I just realized, <laughs> 18 years old, I, I wasn't ready for that. And but I was aware of that. I listened to it and saw it. I still have a very deep passion for music, but uh, that was a tough yeah. phone call to my parents and to the head. I'm sure. Expenses. Yeah. So I so went to A&M, majored in business management, sport management. Had a minor in business, minor in law. Still didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. Moved to Dallas. It, it began my career here. So I've been in the residential new construction trade side for the last 10 plus years. and really realized there's a lot of good people in the industry. As I know we talked about as progressiveness and lack thereof yeah. in some phases, but there are good people who want to work with good people. Yeah. And I think that's when real relationships are what makes things go. And it's one thing to know people, but it's another thing that when your first child is born, they show up at the hospital. Yeah. This is, yeah. is pre-COVID, so it's normal. But uh, then when your your child has a birthday party, and they're buying them toddler Home Depot construction tool belts and stuff. And it's yeah. vast relationships that transcend just doing business in a transaction. And so there's really, really, really good people in the street. And so that's what's kept. Yeah, that's cool. The, the process that you've gone through there that you just described in good relationships, I want to continue that conversation because inside of business, I'm sure that you've focused on that through building clients, of course, of your own vendors, really the whole deal. And so you kind of hit on something there though, is, is really intentionality. How have you, you, knowing that that's what it feels like to receive quality relationship, how do you do that inside of an industry that for lack of better terms is kind of seen as a little bit like shifty? right? Like there's just a lot of homeowners that look at really construction in general as shifty. And so how, how can you continue to build relationships like you were just talking about inside of a construct like that? Yeah. I think it's faith, trust, and confidence. I said that earlier, it's kind of the foundation of what I believe. When you, when you find good people, they have to have faith in you and trust that you can deliver and that confidence every single time. One of the things that I do, and right or wrong, I mean, I don't have anything quantifiable to measure it, but it's just kind of what we, what I do, what I believe in, and what I preach is you don't have to be a certain height to ride. And it's not like we're going to give this, this great pricing to this builder and we're going to gouge the heck out of the little guy. Not only do you give uniform pricing because you're, you're delivering a service and a product to the market state the same. And yeah. you never know what that builder is going to be in five years and you want to take care of them. And I think it's little things. I think it's buying into the people and asking them questions. And, it's knowing what their favorite Starbucks drink is. It's knowing how many kids they have, checking on the kids, being invited to their kids' graduation, sponsoring their kids' drill team fundraiser so they can go to Disney World. Little things like that is how you show that you care other than just saying it, because a lot of people can, can say that. And, and that, that path and that process to do that is not easy. It's a long, it's a long path is along the play, if you will, but it's the right one. That's right. I always compare relationships like bridges over a, a mountain pass. And yeah. a lot of people in, in sales and in business, they, they want to get across no matter what. And they'll throw a quick draw bridge over and they'll go across and they don't care that if it's crumbling behind them like an Indiana Jones movie. Right. But the way I see it is you build a golden gate bridge. You build a structure that can withstand turbulence, that can withstand competitors coming in and trying to undercut you that can withstand when you make a mistake operationally that slows their house down and costs them money. 
if that real bridge is there, then you can go across it freely yeah. to each side. It's, Both it's ways. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so that's kind of what we operate on. I love that. What are some practicals? I mean, you kind of gave the knowing the kid's name, showing up with the Starbucks. I think those are actually great practicals. But for you working kind of like B2B inside of a B2C industry, are there are there tactics that that your salespeople are using outside of what you've already shared? Or even further, are there things that you've seen your the, the end user use? Like So like you're servicing a contractor and then the contractors then maybe like building the home. Are there things that that person can do? Or take it one step further, the person listening that's not even in construction at all, <laughs> what can right. they do to do these same things? Well, I, I really think it's, what do you really want out of this? And I, I think it's very difficult, to, again, to go down this long path and to be a disruptor in the industry and all of that. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to have the help of others. You're going to have to have the help of others that are around you, the help of others that aren't in the industry to give you advice on stay the course, keep doing the right thing. The right thing to do is always the right thing to do, no matter what, it'll pay off. And I have someone that I really lean on a lot for business advice, family advice, coaching advice. And he just reminds you, stay the course, stay true to yourself. It's like planting a garden, plant the seeds, you have to water it. If you keep doing that, you'll be able to pluck the fruit and have a plentiful harvest later, but you got to continue to be diligent on that process. So that's the advice I would give is just to be diligent on it, really find the advantageous agreements in between all the parties and be able to be genuine and tell them and say, Hey, here's where I messed up. Here's what I can do. What can we do to be better? No price increase because of this, that, and the other. The onus is on us to be efficient. How can we help you? Always just being that servant heart and asking and being genuine, I think it goes a long way. Yeah. You've mentioned the word agreement in your last little segment there. And previously you had mentioned kind of like this idea of a win-win. For me, the idea of a win-win and an agreement go together and you don't have an agreement unless there's a win-win and the agreement supersedes expectation. The expectation is just one-sided. Agreement is we come into an agreement. (laughs) We both understand and agree, but it's also a win-win. And so tell me about like, is this something that you've learned? It sounds like maybe you've done some study here or maybe you have an understanding that you can share. I mean, to be honest with you, it's just learning from mistakes, listening to the advice of others, being really inquisitive and asking like, prospective customer and a prospective client, like, what do you need from us? And that's a vulnerable question to ask. And yeah, but I believe that culture with your external customers and internal customers as well, employees and business partners, et cetera, I think you have to be vulnerable to be real. And I think that you have to be open to what the answer is going to be. I remember one of the first times that I sold a national builder, I met with them realizing like, Hey, there's a huge opportunity here. We're not capitalizing on it. And I asked them in their board meeting. I said, if I could go back to the laboratory and create Frankenstein for you, what do you want? What is it that you want? And they kind of looked at each other and the vice president of sales, she told me as that was the first time that a trade had asked them what they wanted versus telling them exactly what they were selling and why they needed it. And that made the customers for life that I'm very thankful for. It's something very simple. And you never know what they want until you ask. That's uh, right. It's, you might be willing to operate at a negative and go bankrupt and whatever, because you want to selfishly get this contract or whatever. But if you ask them what they want, it could be very, very, very simple. And I think that that transcends business and it goes into the the family, it goes into your children and, and everything else. If you're just willing to be vulnerable and ask, you never know. Yeah. Asking for what they want and also being willing to share what's the win for you. Like why I mean, you don't want to do a deal for for negative profit. That doesn't make any sense. And so, again, going back to your comment of win-win, 
I think that there's a lot of business owners, even more so probably contractors that put themselves in positions that aren't always win-win. And in that psychology, it's called heroism, right? So like we're heroing that relationship so that we build a better name or we get a referral. And sometimes those, those are strategic, but oftentimes what happens is that once we've heroed that scenario is that eventually we become a victim because it wasn't a win-win. We got ourselves into a situation where we poured out and the only person that won in that scenario was the other. And then eventually it just gets to us. We just can't handle it because it wasn't, it wasn't equal. Would you agree with that? I absolutely do. And that's something that I'm still working on right now is because I, I believe that people with great passion can make the impossible happen and they can be a disruptor. They can weather the storm, but also you're successful because you take it personal, whether it's every builder across the country in every division, every community, with every superintendent, with every street, with every house. And you take every one of them personal. And I do. And I think they say your greatest strengths, your greatest weakness. And so when you have a relationship, you take it personal as well. I talk about all the different things about the families and doing and sponsoring. And when you pour everything out and show someone a path and they're, they're bought into it, and then they take that end goal, but they get there through a different way and kind of you victimize yourself. Like they left me at the bus stop holding the back. You do take it personal and you have to. Yeah, I'm still working on that because it's like, why, why they do that to me? I help, I help them and stuff, but, yeah. but really it's okay. And that's the thing that you have to come to on your own is being able to express like, Hey, we're still friends. Cause if you can't do that, then everything that you've lived for and everything that you've stood by in that relationship with them was, was for not, it was fake and it wasn't real. And that's what it's about. Still being able to rag them when their football team loses on Sunday. It's right. still being able to go play golf with them and trying to take it to them. It's still texting them happy 4th of July, little things like that. If you can't do that and the relationship wasn't real and it was, it, so that's something yeah. I'm working on right now. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, like you said, the value of being vulnerable, you sharing that in the fact that you're even working through it, I think is super powerful for somebody at your level. The person listening right now might not be at your level. Or it could just be the complete opposite. We've got somebody that's just crushing in business, a billion dollar company and going, man, I remember that moment and I need to, I need to continue to do that even myself. And that's actually what I've found is that typically the bigger the business owner, if they're reflective, they like you are still working on it. And so that's the encouragement to the listener really is whether you're big or small, <laughs> we should always be working on it per Caleb, right? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're never a finished product and you, you have core characteristics and you have traits and you have things that you've learned, but I, I think we can always strive to be better, always taking from others. One of the hardest things to do, and my family members I work through this with that are older that reach out to me, parents even, that it's like they are the victim of a situation. And it's, it's easy for us to be an externalist a lot of times and say, well, I can't X, Y, and Z or I X, Y, and Z because of, well, right. really the only thing we have control of is ourselves. And to be able to be an internalist and look intrinsically inside of us and say, okay, all things equal, what would I have done different? Yeah. There's plenty if you're real with yourself. Yep. There's plenty. And so I, I think that that is just very important and I'm not perfect at it, but when I have a second and when my wife was astute enough to say, hey, you need to get away just for a second. You need to unplug and it's selfishly, she wants to connect with me again because I've been integrated in the business. I think when you have those moments and get away for a second, you go, you know what? Yeah, really messed up here. Take, yeah. take the success or the, the wins and all that from business on one, put it on one side, shelve it. 
compartmentalize it and say, okay, where am I failing? Am I failing as a father? Am I failing as a husband? Am I failing as a friend? And the answer should be yes, if you're honest to yourself, because there's, there are certain microcosms of that in every relationship. And so it's on us to be better looking transically. Yeah. I love that. There's a never finished product understanding. And for the ones that have a hard time coming up with those things that maybe they still need to work on, those are the ones actually that need to be concerned about that because they're they're blindsiding themselves, to your point. You've kind of led us right to decision-making, which I appreciate. Hey, Chaz Wolf here. As many of you know, I have been on an absolute mission to help entrepreneurs from all across the country in many different industries level up their game and grow their business and intentionally connect with other entrepreneurs. We do that obviously through the podcast, but we also have a peer-to-peer mastermind group specifically for seven to nine-figure business owners. We are bringing some of the best and most successful entrepreneurs and minds together in a regular and super intentional way to not only grow our network, but to be able to leverage. And at a certain point in business, success becomes about leverage, leveraging time, leveraging resources, leveraging key relationships. This is exactly what we're doing inside of the peer-to-peer mastermind group called Gathering the Kings, specifically for seven to nine figure business owners. So if that's you, if you're ready to level up your seven to nine figure business even to the next level and get around other big hitters just like you, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com, fill out a short application, and uh, it'll come to an application uh, call with me, and I want to chat with you to see if it might be a good fit. Talk soon. And so I want to know of a good decision that you made in your track record of business here that you think back on. It's like, man, I would do this same thing over and over again, maybe something that we can learn from. I think taking that leap into true entrepreneurial grit, if you will, okay, really go all in. That's my personality by nature is, is full send. It's, that's why I'm a Max Verstappen fan for F1 with the, with, the, with the helmet, but I love the mentality. But I've always been an entrepreneur in my career and life and school and everything, according to my mom. But when it came to business, I, I might always be the outlier, the maverick, the one that disrupted, pushed the envelope with that corporate blanket, warmth and protection mm, and all yes. of that. Still, ultimately, I guess, a risk averse, but what it took was someone that's a business owner, extremely successful, who I've known for a very long time, who coaches and counsels me, who knows my family and was there at my wedding. Again, they invested in me back at the time when I probably wasn't a good, a good stock to invest in. Sure. They saw something that I couldn't see in myself. They came to my house within the last couple of years just to sit down in the kitchen with me and my wife and say, he needs to go out and do stuff on his own. He really does. He's the only person who doesn't believe in himself. Yeah. And people who know me and stuff, they're like, oh, self-assured, confident, has it. But it's true. I was scared to death. But I did not have belief in myself that I could do it. I felt like I was dependent upon others to be successful. And it's... I can do this. I can lead. I, I, I can. And it, it was that interaction and that belief in me, that positivity that I draw back on a lot of times when it's scary. And it will for those who are in the middle of it or starting it or thinking about it. But you have to remember those things. And for, for him to do that, there was something there. And, so not, and I trusted emphatically. So I believed in that. And that's yeah. what led me yeah. to be able to do it and make that leap. It leave my previous career. Yeah. What do you think that kept you hesitant? for so long? Because really you said like from the outside, everybody was seeing this confident, self-assured individual probably succeeding in many areas under that corporate blanket. And so what do you think the hesitation was inside of you deep that was insecure about making it on your own? Fear. 
I think fear of failure is someone who doesn't bat a thousand, but has a good average and is successful and comfortable. In order to grow, you have to trim the branches and tree and that hurts. And yeah. to grow professionally, I knew there was going to be some hurt. And I was going to have to do that. But the fear of failing, I, I worried about with the naysayers, part of me. See, I told you X, Y, and Z and all that, but I'm not doing it for them. And I'm not doing it to prove naysayers wrong. Sure, every once in a while you need that motivation, I guess. More importantly, I found the positivity in the interaction with Justin when he came here to say, I'm going to prove him right. And that positive drive is so much more powerful, so much more repeatable, but it's much easier. And it's so easy to dip into to find that and drive versus digging deep and saying, who said what or whatever, that's not important. So I, yeah. that's my story there. I, I appreciate that perspective. I, I heard this the other day and I was chatting with a couple of folks on it, but it was, it was referencing purchases and, and I want to correlate it to what you just said, but basically the phrase was, would you purchase this thing, whatever it is, if nobody else knew that you had it, right? And so like when you think about fancy things, cars, watches, houses, all the things that all the gurus are, are posting on social media. And that's what drives us. Well, does it really? Like when you put it in that perspective of like, if nobody knew I purchased this, would I still buy it? And what I'm hearing you say is that that same lens, yeah. if nobody knew I succeeded or failed or fill in the blank, would it matter to me? And if, if you buying that thing, material thing, matters to you and you actually would still buy it, then go for it. Make it a right. target, do it. Same right. thing with the failure or the the achievement. It's like, if I'm not doing right. it for the applause of men anyway, right. and I still want to go after it, or I am i don't want to go after it, then make the decision and roll with it. Because it's because it's really what you want when it, when it comes down to it anyway, is what you're saying, right? Absolutely. The material things kind of can remind you of why you're in the grind. It keeps you going a little bit, but that's not the ultimate goal. You said something, and I'm not going to extrapolate too much on it, but you said, like, would you buy it if no one did? Very recently purchased something, and we had a inter-house wobble on it. And the item is very, very, very similar to something that I previously had. And, you know, my wife's comment is, why would you spend the money on this when nobody will know that it's new and nobody will know that it's different? I said, that's the point. I said, <laughs> I don't buy anything and she's going to hear this. And it's I know. <laughs> and I don't, I don't buy anything for the approval of others. And in this instance, I wanted to purchase something that, that I wanted. And I didn't yep. want employees. I didn't want customers, family, neighbors to, to notice anything different here or there. And so that's very, very ironic timing. Example. Yeah. Well, I'll add one with my wife just to, to make it even here on the stage, because I'm sure my wife will listen as well. There's a thing that I think intrinsically that we're talking about, like we're talking about the intrinsic motivation. And sometimes those things are are material or the way that we look or dress or whatever. And so I'm a very meticulous individual. I My hair is always done. My beard's always nice. Like I present myself well. And that could come across as that I'm worried or concerned about what other people have for me. Yes, I'm aware of first impressions and I want to be professional and all those things. But Really, the bottom line is I wear what I wear or I do what I do because it makes me feel good. Like when I look in the mirror, I look at me and I'm like, boom, let's go. And and that right. took her, my my wife, Julia, yeah. a long time to kind of figure that out because it, it sometimes appears, whether it's the material things, which I'm not super big on, but or just simply just aesthetics of 
looking nice or look good, feel good is what something I've learned a long time ago in sales. Right. And I was in inside sales. They couldn't see me at all. And I would still wear a suit and tie because it made me show up like a freaking stud. And so if that affects me intrinsically and pushes me to the next level, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a purchase, whether it's an investment, whether it's me taking time to pour into somebody else, whether it's doing a podcast when I literally have done hundreds of these with no sponsors, we make no money, but like, boom, I do this because I freaking wanted to do it. So like that, that you can't, you can't switch that out for a deeper motivation. Would you agree with that? I, I agree with that. And I would also agree with a beard like that. You have a duty. <laughs> they ready. So with a well, great beard comes a great responsibility, Jim. That's right. Uh, that's right. I agree with that. And it's funny too, because we're working through some merchandise concepts, some like a clothing line concept. And one of the designs that was put on was just a beard and a crown, obviously gathering the king's crown, beard. Not that every king has a beard, but it's kind of a go-to thing. And anyway, this, this design that we ended up working through, the side profile of it looks a lot like me, which is kind of funny. Not the intent yeah. at all, but I kind of like it. So anyway. Yeah. We might keep it for that reason, but okay. So really great stuff here, Caleb. I want to switch over to a bad decision. I want something that wasn't your hottest hour. You've already kind of been vulnerable on a few things, but I want something super practical in the business that we can go and not implement. Yeah. I think create, having a culture, first off, where you don't always have to talk about the culture. Well, that's good. So making sure that you're living it and doing that and you're, you have this culture of collaborative environment where you're empowering people. It's the faith, trust, confidence that you tell them, you say, Hey, and I have faith, trust, confidence that you're going to make the right decision. I'm going to back you. And you give people autonomy to run their shop, run their business, run their crews. And yeah, yeah I think there's with every decision, every type of leadership structure, there's positives and negatives from it. The positive definitely have to outweigh the negatives or you're going to not be a business anymore. That's um, right. So I think in having a, an autonomous culture where you say, Hey, your shop. Go ahead. I trust you. You know what you're doing. You know better than me. I'm a public school kid from Silsby. I went to, they don't teach us that until a master's degree. I don't have the one. You know, you do all the self-deprecating things. You empower them and you're vulnerable, but you have to live with the consequences when you go down that road of full empowerment and autonomy. That's uh, right. I think that was a mistake that I made early on is not being involved more, not questioning more, not coaching more, not investing more. It's just They've got it. I'm going to, I don't want to micromanage. I want to empower. And it, it led to some very stressful times early on, as far as stressing a relationship, as far as stressing the company financially. And it was very, very, very difficult. And there's fallout from that ramifications. So I think that good leaders, no matter what type of culture you have, what type of leadership style you have, I think you, you inspect what you expect. And so even if you give someone the autonomy to run their stuff, you still have to inspect with what they're doing and, and touch base and the coach. And so that's a huge mistake. The interesting piece there is that there are personalities probably like yours that really lend to give autonomy easily, right? Like you, you either trust easily or maybe you're just not so much in the detail naturally. And so it's, it's easier for you to give it away. But to your point, the tenacity of making sure things are done all the way when you have somebody in that role, especially if you hire well and you give them autonomy, that's like the ultimate moment of like, oh, I can just give it to them. They're an A player. I shouldn't have to check. But it's actually, they appreciate it usually. If I'm a high performer inside of your organization and I'm the guy that you probably think that I shouldn't need a whole lot of checking, 
I probably actually want you checking on me because I want you to see me freaking winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like, even in that pinnacle moment of the best person, they're, they're doing everything right, whether you're looking or not, you still need to be in there for the sake of probably what they're looking for, which is your approval. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And you have to remember back when you were getting that from someone else. Exactly. It was, it's almost a foregone thought. Well, Chaz is good. Caleb's good. Look at the scoreboard. They're winning. Yep. But, you know, I, I've used the, the, the analogy before. I, I'm a good dog, but you have to pet me every once in a while. Yeah. And, and I think you have to remember that, how you felt and what you were needing from someone who might be more alpha-focused, alpha-based personality-wise. Yeah. They need that too. They want the acknowledgement. They want you to be involved, invested, because what it's measured, it's improved. And they're, they're happy with the way they're performing, but they want to be better as well. Just like we talked about being better. Exactly. So you have to remember those things personally, and you got to be able to deliver them to the people that you want to help grow. I agree. Yeah. Love that. Love that. So cross T's, dot I's, make sure that you're checking on people. They respect what you inspect, like Caleb yeah. said. Even if they're freaking crushing it and they're A players, that's actually probably even more so of a reason to jump in there. Caleb, I got to know, what's a business resource that you've just gotten so much value from that you can share with us? Book, podcast, event, whatever it might be. Let's see. It's a good question. So many. I think it's easy to, when you feel insecure and feel like you need to learn more, I think you can inundate yourself with so many different angles and some of them are counterintuitive to each other. If you can take one thing from a book or one thing from a podcast or one thing from a person to start building collectively like who you are, I think that's great. Yeah. I think Rhinoceros Success, I think was a great book. I think basically The Thick Skin was something, again, I'm working on. I've read it years ago. I'm reading it again. I think Crucial Conversations is just so important. Again, not just in business. I think the benefits are more in the house with my, with my wife and my kids, yep. guys like us and in business entrepreneurs, I mean, we're witty, we're quick and all this stuff and can play that up. But when, when something sparks you negatively or it, it invokes an emotion, that's going to get something out of you. Crucial conversations taught me to pause and to ask myself to follow what's really important and is it worth it? And I think in business, but you know, that's crucial. What are you really trying to do here? What is the goal? Is it a relationship or is it just a greasy sale? Well. You have to ask yourself those things. And yep. when your wife gets, you think you're a hero if you did the dishes for the first time in two years. I'm not saying that's a personal experience. I'm saying that hypothetically. <laughs> but when you do that and you you think there's a positive response and the criticism is like, well, why did you do the dishes this way? I have to pause and ask myself what's really important and is it worth it? Again, hypothetically, it didn't happen here. But uh, I think that's really important because it, it makes you remember what you're doing and what you're doing yeah. for work. But another resource I'll tell you is I think people who believe in you, trust in you, and I emphasize you, they care about you. They don't care about your success. They don't care about your business. They care about you when you're, when you're low and you're hurting and they want to help you come back up. That's right. They don't right. just want to pop up when you're successful and having some success. They're there with you. Surrounding yourself with those kind of people are just so impactful and important that you have to have it to be successful. Yeah, I had a mastermind member go through a triple bypass heart surgery recently, and he's in his 40s. And so it was completely unexpected and kind of a crazy scenario. But it was interesting because we went to see him in the hospital and sent his family food and just try to do all the things. But he sent me a text and was like, hey, man, I'm not going to be around for a little bit. Like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't need to be around. We need to be around you. What do you like? 
wait a second here. Like your value is not always what you bring to the table, although we appreciate that. But a lot of times this is just a time for us to meet you where you're at. And that's the value of really what you're talking about is community or relationship, whether it's the spouse, whether it's a, a business partner, whether it's a collaboration of somebody across industries or whatever. When you build it like for real, it doesn't matter if you're high or low, they're going to be there and, and attempt to help wherever they can because that's how real relationships are built. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's not one-sided. And so it's definitely, again, the agreement, both people winning there for the mutual yeah. benefit of everyone. Yeah, exactly. I want to ask you a question about family. We've been talking about family kind of in and out here, but we both have recently been on family vacation. And I was telling you about our family mastermind that we went on and had some other families come with us and really tried to focus on not only just the obsession of our business that we've, we already know that we are obsessed when it comes to the business world, but obsessing over my wife, obsessing over my children, what those relationships look like, really just all the things that outside of the business. So my question to you, Caleb, is how have you, or what are some practicals that you've done to obsess over those things in your life at the same time as obsessing about the business? I just don't believe that there's balance, I guess is what I'm really trying to say. <laughs> how do you how do you throw balance out of the window and go all in, like you said at the very beginning, on your wife and kids at the same time? Yeah, I think going all in, I think it's easy for people to say when it all cost, but there is a cost always. And you talk about the balance, you talk about your family, you talk about the kids, that's my cost. And there's one dad, I have one daughter, I have one son, healthy, beautiful kids. They, thank goodness they look like their mom. I have one fun <laughs> wife. And to them, I am everything in that role. And they are everything to me. And there's no replacement in business. Again, good people, people work with you. You can do something else. You can go through an, another basket of bad ideas and find something that's good and, and do that. But with them, that is the cost. And I think so for me, it's as full send intensely as you get into business and the metrics inside and out, know the numbers of the people, the processes. Yeah. I yeah. think you have to do that and obsess with your kids as well. And whatever that is that they like, not what you want them to like. It's that's good. the only rule that we have here at this house is that you can do whatever you want. We're going to support you. But whatever you do, you have to do it with as much passion that, that you see as an example. You have to be all in and you have to, you have to give it a fair shake. You have to give it a go. And there's no dab. Yep. Love that. That's, that's kind of how we balance it. The time that we have with them, and I'll speak for myself, it's not, I want more, but the time that I do have, it's full go. It's yeah. full of them and it's whatever it is they want. Yeah. I love that really good description of, of obsession. It's like, if you're going to do it, my expectation or our agreement, rather, if you're in this house is that you're all in because nothing, nothing that I've ever done halfway or dabbling, as you said, really ever turned out to much. And so why start even that as a bad habit with, with your kids to dabble? Uh, I think For that's, sure. that's great. I got one yeah, last question we, here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. On that vein, just to, I think that's the biggest thing in business. I think you said it right there. Everyone wants to be successful. Everyone wants to win, but there's not many people who are willing to do what it takes to be successful, truly. And that's, that's the measure. And so as a, as a parent, as a father, if I can instill that, here's what it takes. It, it, they're willing to do it and they're all here. I really feel like that's conditioning them as a learned behavior for the future to, to combat the world and to be successful. Yeah, that's right. And being able to show them how to do that type of passionate behavior in something that they're going after, but yet at the same time, their family, their relationships, and not necessarily sacrificing one for the other. I love that perspective.
The last question here for you, Caleb, is if you had the opportunity to speak to the younger Caleb, what would you tell that young man? After I slapped him, it was war. No, I, I think it's be vulnerable. I would tell the younger Caleb and catch more flies than honey. Be vulnerable. Let people see that you're, it's real. You're not this calloused android that has an, an quantifiable algorithm or something. It's people love you. People want to be around you because of you, your successes and your faults. I think that's the biggest thing is when you're real, your, your family, your internal customers, your external customers, they appreciate that. And then they know that person, the world is open to you. Yep. That's right. It's good stuff. Caleb, how can the listener find you? One, if they need your products and service, or two, they're just an entrepreneur, they want to connect with you that way. How can they find you? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. They want to connect personally. I'm always available. I love to meet new people to hear their successes, their struggles as well. I always learn more. I feel from others and, and I'm able to tell them so they can find me there. For our product, you can go to aerobarrier.net. And they can find us there for our products. We can deliver to anywhere in the continental United States. Love it's it. yeah, it's, it's awesome. So we'd love to talk to more people and hear their stories that grow from them. Yeah. Well, Caleb, we appreciate that. And you have been vulnerable here today. Thanks for sharing. You brought us some immense value. We wish you nothing but blessing on your family, of course, those dishes and the, <laughs> and the business that you're building. So just thank you again for being here. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And those dishes, are, that was a confession, by the way, so that I can't go out. But thank you for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Look forward to it. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight, and nine-figure business owners, is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.